0: Welcome to the weekly podcast channel for the Wilmington Church of Christ. We hope that this channel inspires and encourages you to take the gospel to all people, transforms hearts to be like Christ, and trains disciples to make disciples. For more information about our church, please go to wcconline.org. Enjoy the message. We have been studying worship the last several weeks, and the idea is that uh, we don't just worship on Sundays. We're supposed to worship every day, and we're trying to wrap our minds around what that would be like and what that means. Uh, I think we're kind of getting a handle on worship when we gather. We know we're going to sing. We know we're going to uh, pray. We know we're going to uh, have some confession time. We know we're going to hear uh, a, a message that is based on the scripture. We know we're going to respond with communion, and, and we're starting to wrap our minds around that we come and we gather as a church to minister to God and serve each other. That idea of we have, we have arrived to serve, not be served. We're wrapping our mind around that, but uh, I am getting some feedback. What does it look like for everyday worship? What does it look like to worship on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday? Everyday worship. Because uh, usually uh, on Monday we don't gather with a bunch of Christians and, and sing a song. So we have to ask that question. What is it going to look like for everyday worship? And uh, Peter, one of Jesus' best friends, wrote um, in a letter to a bunch of Christians on how to do worship every day. Um, And if you'll turn in your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 4, we're going to look at three ways, three instructions Peter gives us on how to do everyday worship. Now he's building an argument in this letter he's writing. He's writing to persecuted Christians. And he builds this argument in chapter three, this is how you're going to be saved. And we need to take on the same attitude, chapter four of Jesus Christ. And if we do that, we're going to be done with sin. And we need to be done with sin because Jesus is going to come back. And we're going to have to give an answer for everything we've done. There's going to be judgment. And so how you can be prepared for Jesus coming back is these three instructions on everyday worship. And the three instructions uh, that we receive for everyday worship Out of 1 Peter chapter 4, once you look for these, it is pray, love, and serve. And every time I say those three words, and if you're writing them down, pray, love, and serve, I, I immediately think of, I don't know why, eat, pray, love. You, you, you heard of that? There was a book written back in the early two thousands by Elizabeth Gilbert, and it was got turned into a movie uh, with Julia Roberts, two thousand and ten. Eat, pray, love, and uh, you might find that book and movie uh, interesting. But I would not recommend to take life or relationship advice from that author or that book. But it's not eat, pray, love, and I might catch myself and say that it is actually love. I was pray, love, and serve. And that's what Peter says in First Peter chapter four. Verse 7, see if you see those three instructions in this word. The end of all things is near. Oh, just as a side note, Jesus, Peter, John, and Paul, and every author in the New Testament say we are living in the end times as soon as Jesus was resurrected. So if you're one of the persons that's going down that road of you're looking for signs of the end times and you're looking for when Jesus is going to come back and you know he's going to come back when you see these signs, All the authors in the New Testament said the end times started when Jesus rose from the dead. So we are living in the end times. You don't have to look for any more signs. It, It is the end times. And Peter says it right here. The end of all things is near. This is the end. We're in the end times. Therefore, because Jesus is coming back, there will be a judgment. You need to be able to worship every day. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Love. And here serve. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Pray, love, and serve. The first way that we can do everyday worship is we need to pray. Be alert and sober of mind so that you may pray. Now, when we pray, it does two major things. One, it changes us. And two, and this is incredible to me every time I say it, and I don't understand how it works, our prayers move the hand of God. I don't know how that works, but that's what he tells us. No, number one, though, first, When we pray, it does change us. God wants to be involved in our life and is in our life every day. And when we pray, we begin to notice more about where God is providing wisdom, and He's providing peace, and He's providing grace and mercy for our time of need. James, the half-brother of Jesus, writes in his letter, "'If any of you seeks wisdom, you should ask God, and He will provide you with wisdom.'" I had an opportunity to speak to students this last week and we were talking about God's purpose for our lives and I I said it's really clear, God has made it really clear what his purpose for our life is. His purpose for us is to have our character and our thinking and our attitude change to be like that of the character, thinking, and attitude of Jesus Christ. That's his main purpose and goal for your life. If you want to know what God's will is for your life, he wants you to look and think and act like Jesus. And he's going to use everything around you, all of your circumstances, all of your life, every, all the good and all the bad, to help transform you into the character of Jesus Christ. And when we pray and we ask for wisdom, he's going to give us wisdom so that we can look more like Jesus. He promises He will do that. He will give us wisdom. You know, the Scripture doesn't have a Scripture in verse for every single situation that you are going to have to make a decision on or have to make a, a choice on. God doesn't give us a specific Scripture in verse, for example, of what I'm supposed to eat for breakfast this morning. He didn't give in First Dale chapter 2, Dale, you need to eat this particular food for breakfast this morning. And this morning I was faced with a choice. Have something healthy for me or have something unhealthy for me? Do you know God doesn't give me a verse on that, but He provides me wisdom. What's the wise choice here? Healthy. The more we read the Scripture and the more we find out how God thinks and the more we ask for wisdom, He allows our thinking to become more like His and He supplies us with the wisdom we need when we encounter choices that we have choices on. And he says I'll give you wisdom. He also gives us peace. Paul when he was writing from prison in Philippians chapter 4, he says rejoice in the Lord always. And that seems like a kind of a shocking thing to say when somebody's in prison that they would write that. And I bet the readers when they read it, they said, "What is he talking about? Rejoice? That guy's stuck in prison." And so he says, "Well, I'll say it again. Rejoice." And then he says these amazing things He said, if you take your anxiety and your fears and your worries and you pray to God about it, God will exchange your worries and ideas and and fear, your anxiety and fear, and give you peace that guards your heart and your mind in Jesus Christ, and we don't even understand where it comes from. But he said, it's from Jesus. When we pray, he changes us, he gives us wisdom and he gives us peace. The author of Hebrews says that because Jesus has died for us and allowed us access to God, he, we are declared not guilty, we are given the authority and power to be in Christ, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead we have now living within inside of us. We can now go and stand in front of God's throne and ask Him for grace and mercy, and He will give it. He is a good father and we have been made a child of God and he wants to give us grace and mercy for what we need in the situation we're in and he gives us the grace and mercy to endure and live another day for him. When we pray, we start noticing where God is showing up in our everyday life. This is how we do everyday worship. And when God shows up and his presence shows up, we actually have the grace and mercy to endure even the worst life has to throw at us. God says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I will be with you and I will walk with you while you go through that terrible time and I will give you strength to make it another day. Just like he did with Jesus. When Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem and he went to the cross, God gave him the strength to go every step along the way and remain faithful, even faithful unto death. And Jesus received the reward that was for him because he was faithful even to death. God says, I'll give you the grace and mercy you need for this situation to go... And when we pray, we do this everyday worship of prayer. We wake up in the morning and we pray and ask God for wisdom and peace and grace and mercy. And we go to bed at night and we ask God for wisdom, peace and mercy. What would happen if you began praying that every day? God, will you give me wisdom today for the choices I'm gonna have to go through? Where it's not really clear, there's no specific verse in the Bible, I just need your way of thinking. Lord, would you give me the attitude of Jesus Christ? And that's the grace and mercy I need. Would you allow me? Would you allow me, Lord, to have peace? Because I'm really worried about my loved one. I'm really worried about politics. I'm really wor- Would you give me peace? Would you exchange that anxiety I feel for peace? What would happen in your life if you trusted God to do that every day? See, this is how we do everyday worship. Peter says we need to have our minds ready and alert and ready to pray, and then we need to pray because he knows that it changes us. But it also, this is the strangest thing, it also moves the hand of God. D.L. Moody, a preacher from several years ago, said, God's not bothered by our constant coming and asking. The way to trouble God is not to come at all. But when we go to God, He is a God who is able to move mountains. And if we go to God and we continue to pray, He responds in ways that we can't imagine, can't even imagine, in our life. And it's the same God who created the world that He allows us to pray, and we have access to Him, and then He does respond to our prayers. Mark Batterson wrote that we need to stop praying for as soon as possible, Lord, I need you to do this as soon as possible, and we need to start praying as long as it takes. Instead of praying as soon as possible prayers, we need to pray as long as it takes type prayers and wait for God to move because He still moves mountains and still provides miraculous things today. Jesus taught us to use persistent prayer and never give up. God wants us to pray. And remember what His purpose is. His purpose is to build our character like Jesus Christ. So if He makes us pray a little bit longer, that is growing our patience and endurance. And He still responds. Remember back in April when Dr. Manzer was sick on his deathbed, doctor in our community, and there was a call that went out to gather together and pray for Him. You, anybody remember that? And I, th- I remember thinking... How many people are going to show up? There can't be maybe four or five people that are going to show up for this. And the parking lot was overflowing with cars that showed up to pray for Dr. Mansur. Praise God, he's recovering and getting healthier all the time. But what if we took our daily prayer that seriously more often than just when we were in an emergency situation? The end is near. You're living in the end times now. We want to be able to do everyday worship on Monday through Saturday and come back together and celebrate how God has been moving mountains in our life and has given us the grace and mercy to make it through another day. We need to start taking prayer that seriously as we did when there's an emergency. I'll give you two ways to supercharge your prayer life right now. If you start praying this prayer every day, it will supercharge your prayer life. Number one, the number one thing is pray and say, God, would you help me trust you more? If you begin praying that prayer, he will give you the wisdom, he will give you the peace, he will give you the grace and mercy you need to increase your trust in him. You will become like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were two Jewish boys when Babylon, the Babylonian kingdom came in and destroyed uh, Israel and they took captive all these kids, and took them back to Babylon, started raising them in Babylon. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were raised in a Babylonian culture. They were raised in another language. They were given new names. And they were saying, you're going to be Babylonian wise men. And the king, he made this huge golden idol statue and brought it before all his people. And he said, when the music plays, you need to bow down and worship this this idol. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not bow down. Well, they were praying to have trust in the Lord. They had been praying that prayer since they were little. And the king said, if you don't bow down, what God will save you? I will kill you if you don't bow down and worship. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego trusted God so much, here's what how the they responded to the king. They said, we know our God can save us, but even if he doesn't save us, we're not going to bow down and worship this idol. That's the type of trust we will have. We begin praying that every day. Can you imagine that type of faith and that type of life? that you will trust God and move forward under his grace and mercy. And even if it leads you to your death, you're going to keep trusting him. That will supercharge your prayer life if you start praying that right now. The second way you can supercharge your prayer life for everyday worship is to pray to God about your enemies and the people who have hurt your feelings and ask him to help you forgive them because you've been forgiven in Jesus. You're going to forgive them just like the grace Jesus gave you, and then pray a blessing over their lives. Remember how Jesus says, pray even for your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Pray a blessing, not a curse. If you want to have a supercharged prayer life, an everyday powerful worship prayer, pray for your enemies, those people who have hurt you, and pray that God will allow you to forgive them, help you to forgive them, and pray a blessing over their life. If you begin praying that prayer, it will supercharge your prayer life and it will change your faith. You will be so involved in everyday worship. What would happen in your families if you began teaching your children how to pray to forgive the people who have hurt your feelings and you pray blessing over them instead of curse? What would happen if you prayed over that politician that you don't really like, whichever one it is, It doesn't matter if I bring up politics, somebody's going to like the person and somebody's not going to like the person. It's just the way it is. What would happen if you prayed for the person that you didn't like and you prayed a blessing instead of a curse? There was a New York Times article just came out. This is the craziest thing. The author said, I think it was New York Times. I might be wrong. The author said that they had run away from their city because of COVID and they were living in the sticks and their neighbor who was not politically the same as them, so they hated each other, right? Their neighbor came over and plowed the snow out of their driveway, and they couldn't figure out how could somebody who liked a different political candidate than me be kind. That person is not praying for their enemies. They're praying curses. What would happen to the relationship if they began praying blessing over their enemies? You want to have a supercharged prayer life. You want to change the way you worship, everyday worship, begin praying. God, help me to trust you more, and then naming the people who have hurt your feelings by name and asking God to bless them. It will supercharge your prayer life. That's the first way to do everyday worship. Pray. Second way, second way is to love. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. I've always kind of been curious about that verse. How does love cover over sins? I thought only Jesus' blood can cover over sins, Our love for God and how it shows up in our lives changes the way we see God, the way we see ourselves, and the way we see others. First, if we love and we begin loving like God, we will understand and be understand even more fully that if God never does anything else for us. I mentioned this last week, but I want to mention again. I want it to sink in. I want it to become part of our culture. If God never does any other good thing for us, if he never gives us any other grace, if he never gives us any other gift, he's already proven his love for us because he died on the cross for us. Somebody died for me. Somebody died for you. Now, I've heard like even in our church family, we've had a member who needed a kidney and their son gave up his kidney so his dad could live. Now that's beautiful. What a sacrifice. It's incredible. Jesus gave all of his organs for you. Jesus died for you. If Jesus never does anything good for us again, which he he does. He gives us grace upon grace. But if he never did, he's already demonstrated his love for us. He does not have to do anything else for us to know, for us to know that he loves us. I can go through life and experience difficulty after difficulty, trial after trial, and terrible thing after terrible thing, and I still know God loves me because he died for me. Love covers over a multitude of sins. And if we start living out that type of love for others, it will cover over a multitude of sins. First, uh, it, it will change the way we think about ourselves the, the self-help books want us to get a mirror, look in the mirror and say, I am good enough and doggone it, people like me. I know I just dated myself. Thank you for laughing. You must be old too. Okay, but there is the, the affirmation world and self-help book says, look in the mirror and say, I am really good. I am beautiful. The whole world is my oyster. I, but when we think about the love of Christ, it changes the way we think about ourselves. When we start thinking too high of ourselves, we remember we have rebelled against God, and we deserve death, but we've been given grace. And that kind of balances it out. Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 1, he said, this is a trustworthy saying, Jesus died for sinners, and I'm the worst sinner I know. Now, when he says this is a trustworthy saying, what he means by that is he wants you and me to say those words. So instead of getting in the mirror and saying, I'm good enough, he wants to get in the mirror and say, Jesus has died for sinners, and I'm looking at the worst sinner I know. And if you think about it, you are the worst sinner you know. I have some friends that have confessed to me some sins. And as a Christian, what we're supposed to do when people confess to us sins, we're supposed to pray for them. We're supposed to remind them of the grace of Jesus Christ. We're supposed to remind them that they're forgiven in Jesus, that they can live and that they are forgiven. They're supposed to leave that sin behind and go on to a better, uh, to a more righteous life, a holy life, pursue God. We're supposed to remind them of that with gentleness. But my sins, my, my, my friends who have given me their list of sins or confessed to me, I might know two or three sins that they've done. But when I evaluate my own life, I remember every sin that I've done, and I know that I've sinned even sometimes where I've forgotten them. I'm the worst sinner I know. My sin list is long compared to the two or three that they've confessed to me. So I get to say a trustworthy saying, Jesus Christ have died to save sinners, and I'm the worst sinner I know. This is a trustworthy saying for you. So when you get too high on yourself, you can remember that you've rebelled against God and that Jesus saves sinners when you get too low on yourself, we also remember the love of God. God loves you so much, He died for you. This past Wednesday in our Bible study uh, on Zoom, uh, it's a Bible study of how to worship the King. Uh, The teacher from this video Bible study took us through a prayer that said, we need to pray and imagine every place Jesus was injured, and He did that every part of his body that was injured. And he did that to cover over every part of our body because he loves us. And he imaginatively took us through a prayer of Jesus had thorns put in his head. So I give my whole brain and mind and thinking to you, Lord, because you gave your head for my head. And he said, his hands were nailed to the cross. And he prayed, Lord, I give you my hands because your hands were nailed to the cross. He said, His feet were nailed to the cross. He said, Lord, I give you my feet. You take me wherever you want to go because your feet were put there in my place. He said, Jesus was hung naked on the cross. His private parts were exposed. And he said, Jesus exposed himself in shame so that I could be covered in grace. I give even my private parts to you, Lord. He said, Jesus' heart was pierced for my heart. So I give you my heart, Lord. And we remember that Jesus loves us so much. It changes the way we think about ourselves. We can't get too high or too low. We think about ourselves as a child of God. This is how we are to love others. When we love others this way, it covers over a multitude of sins. So imagine if you begin to love others like Jesus has loved you, it changes the way we think about God, it changes the way we think about ourselves, it changes the way we think about others. There was a little kid in here running around. Screaming for his daddy last hour while I was doing my sermon. Little kid. Daddy, 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 daddy. I mean it's just daddy, daddy, daddy. Now, you and I, we laugh at that. That's cute. Why do we why do we laugh at that? Why doesn't that offend us? Because he's a child of God. He is physically a child. We love kids. This church loves kids. We love to see them grow. We love to see them mature. We want more kids to come. Why don't we treat each other with that type of love? That we are children of God. Can you imagine the amount of sins that would cover over if we loved that way? See, we don't have thin skins when it comes to children. Our skins are thick. They can't offend us. They're children, and we think they're beautiful. What if we loved each other that way? Above all, put on love, and love will cover over a multitude of sins. If you see each other in this place as a child of God, you will cover over a lot of sins that people commit with your love. What about this? What about this? What if we just see each other as a friend of Jesus? I have a best friend, and we're best friends. We know we love each other. I love him. He loves me. And it would take so much for him to hurt my feelings and insult me because I have thick skin with my friend. I don't know what he would have to do to hurt my feelings. And the same way with me. It would take a lot for me to hurt his feelings. We have thick skin when we have friends. Why don't we see each other? We love each other like God loves us, and we see each other as a friend of Jesus. Wouldn't our relationships change? This is how we are to love. This is how love covers over a multitude of sins. You can't be insulted and hurt if you see somebody as a child of God and as a friend of Jesus. They're forgiven in Jesus. You can forgive them too. This is how love covers over a multitude of sins. Or what about this? What about this? What if we see each other? Peter calls us in this very book, he says, we're all a priest of God. Everyone in our church is a priest of God. What if we saw each other as a priest? Now, you have to use your imagination a little bit here. So when God set apart Aaron as a priest, Moses took Aaron. He said, Moses, I want you to take Aaron. I want you to wash him in front of the whole community so that they will know he is clean and chosen for this job. I want you to clothe him in pure white linen so that you, so the whole community will know that my anointed priest is pure before me. Then they put on the priest this jewel encrusted apron with the names of all the tribes inscribed on the jewels and the word of God uh, uh, close to their heart because he wanted the priest to be like the glorified angel of heaven and he crowned it with a crown of gold that that had words inscribed describing that he is the Lord's possession, this is the priest. Now, if, if God sees that as a priest and dresses that up as a priest, and, and then he said, Moses, I want you to take the oil, the consecration oil, the oil that is just for temple use. This is the oil that they had the special, special ingredients. They weren't allowed to use it for anything else. They were supposed to pour it on objects. And when the oil was poured on those objects, those objects could only be used for holy things in the temple. He said, I want you to take that concentration cons, oil, and I want you to pour it over Aaron and his sons as priests. And so the oil fell down through their hair, th- ran through their beard, ran on their clothes, and everybody in the community knew that this was a priest of God. How, did you, how do you ex- think God expects people to think about the priest of God? What if we saw each other as priests of God? Because we are if we're in Christ, we are priests of God. In Numbers chapter 12, Aaron and his sister, Moses' brother and sister, we could see this happen with brothers and sisters. They, they went against, Mo- Moses is the anointed one of God. He's like a priest for God, just like Aaron was. And Aaron and his sister, they went up to Moses and said, Moses, why are you in charge? We're just as smart as you. Can't you see brothers and sisters saying that? God did not like that type of rebellion, that type of acting out against his anointed. And the sister walked away with a skin disease because God cursed her for her rebellion. Do you think it's okay to not love a priest of God? In number 16, this is even worse. By the way, God healed her. He didn't leave her that way. But he wanted to emphasize how important it was that his anointed was somebody he had favor on. They shouldn't rebel against. And then in number 16, 250 of the tribesmen rebelled against Moses and Aaron. They said, Wait a second, we're as smart as you. You're leading us all over the wilderness. We know how to, we, we can read a map better than you. And do you know what God did with those 250 people? They rebelled against Moses and Aaron, God's anointed priest. God opened the earth, swallowed them up, and they died. And then God sent a plague on 15,000 other people who had rebelled against Moses. He said, you're not going to rebel against my priest. What if we, what if we remembered when we looked at each other that we are priests of God? We've been anointed by the Holy Spirit. We are a child of God. We're a friend of Jesus. We are priests in God's service. Don't you think we would treat each other a little bit differently if we did that? This is everyday worship. This is everyday worship. We learn how to pray. We learn how to love every single day. What if we formed prayer teams that just showered people with love? What if, it, what if you feel called by God to form a team to pray every Sunday before church starts for the sermon that's getting ready to, to go out, to be preached on the message. What if you formed a team that you got together every week and you did that? Don't you think you wouldn't fall asleep as much if you were praying for my sermons? But whoever preached, what if you got together a team and prayed for the message? It wouldn't have to be for me, but you can pray for me too. I need prayers all the time. What if you prayed? What if you got together as a team? To show this type of love through your prayer. And you through the week you prayed for our children's minister and our and our and our youth minister, Cheryl and Tony Brockmeyer. Their job is to equip parents on how to raise their children in the way they should go. And they, they give out resources all the time. Now, they also teach our children when they come in, but they only have them for an hour. Their main job is to equip parents to train them up at home. I love, um, there, there have been some blessings that have come out of COVID and have come out of lockdown. One of the blessings is a parent contacted Cheryl uh, a couple weeks ago and said, I have learned that it's my job to t- train up my kids in the way they should go. I, it's my job to train them in the Lord. I've just learned that. And it took all of Lockdown to teach me that. And Cheryl was like, Yeah, yeah, let me help you do that. What if we had a team that prayed for Cheryl and prayed for Tony so that they would equip parents with what they need to raise their children? What if we had a team that did that? What if we had a team that showed love and prayer, prayed like this and loved like this for Nick, our worship leader? Now, we already have a team, you don't have to join this one. We already have a team that complains about the music. We don't need anybody else on that team. What if you joined the team that prayed for Nick? Wouldn't it make a difference? If you were praying for him to have wisdom and grace and mercy, and you were praying for him to recognize Jesus even more fully than he already does, so that when he leads us in singing, we would see Jesus more clearly. What if there was a team that did that? This is how we pray, and this is how we love. It's going to change the world. It starts here in our church. We're the ones that are going to start changing the world. We're the ones that God is going to lead the, se- the third great awakening in our nation. It's going to start here with you and me. Pray, love, and serve. I almost said eat, pray, love, right there. It's pray, serve, pray, love, and serve. Here's, here's serve. Now, this, let me, let me read it. There's two parts to serve, hospitality and, and something about gift. And uh The first part is pretty easy, pretty self-explanatory. I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on it. But the second part, I'm gonna teach something new maybe you've never heard before. And I gotta tell you, I gotta warn you. Anytime a preacher stands up and says they're gonna preach something new that you've never heard before, you need to take it with a grain of salt. And you need to go study it, and you need to make sure the preacher's not saying something weird, okay? What I'm gonna teach in the second half of this part of the lesson is unconventional. And if you've been at church for a long time, and you hear something that's new, like I, I see some veterans of the faith out here. If you hear something new from the preacher that you've never heard before, you need to study it. You need to make sure that I'm preaching right. So first part, sir, Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Okay, that, that's easy. Hospitality is give a meal to somebody who needs a meal. Open your home to somebody who needs a place to stay. Um, a lot of times our hospitality is not like opening our home to have somebody stay the night. It's just opening our home to have somebody come in so we can encourage them and feed them and love on them and pray for them so they can f- confess their sins and we remind them of the grace they have in Jesus. But there's a huge difference between hosting and hospitality. Hosting is everything in my house has to look perfect and clean and I'm a host for them and they have to think that everything about my life is put together and I don't have any problems. Okay? Okay. Hospitality is somebody comes over at any time of the week and they can see the dirty dishes or they can see that you haven't vacuumed and you're just there to love on them. Hospitality is different. Hospitality can happen anytime. Hosting you have to prepare for. Okay? We are called to offer hospitality. We are called to be ready to love on people anytime they need it. We know the difference? This is going to be most difficult for the moms in the room who want their house to look really clean if they have guests, okay? There is a time and place for you to host and have your house really clean to have guests. But more than likely, your everyday worship is going to involve hospitality where your guests don't care if your house is clean, they just need somebody to love on. Hospitality is easy. It's not easy to do. It's just easy to define. Here's this part that is going to be weird for some of us. I know you're on the edge of your seat, I can tell. Verse 10, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. What's the main point of that verse? Is it the gift or serving? The main point is serving. The main point is serving, okay. Thank you. Uh, Let's just stop there. So here's the conventional way. Conventional way, uh, it's called spiritual gifts. And I actually came, uh, uh, or was preparing earlier this week to pass out. Here's the conventional way. Here's the conventional way. Conventional way says this. Conventional interpretation that I was taught, that I have taught, and I think is incorrect. Conventional way is this. If you are in Christ, you have been given a spiritual gift that you must discover and then go serve using that gift, and you serve out of your strength. And so Paul has some lists of that people have interpreted and called spiritual gifts in Ephesians and 1 Corinthians and Romans. That's the conventional way. If you've grown up around the church, you've probably heard that. If you've grown up in this church, every time anybody talked about it, you got uncomfortable. Okay, so conventional way is, listen again, if you're in Christ, you've been given a special ability that you have to discover and then go use for his kingdom. Here's the unconventional way that I think is a better interpretation. Okay, in the conventional way, your prayer goes like this. God, please reveal to me what my special ability is so I can go serve you. That's the conventional way. The unconventional way follows the context of Scripture, where every time Paul makes a list, he tells you what the list is about by giving you key words. And everywhere, there's a spiritual gifts list by the way, it's just called gifts. It's not, it's not ever or very rarely called a spiritual gift. It's just the word gift. Nowhere else in all of definition of anywhere do we say a gift means a special ability. We just say it's a gift. It's given to you. Anyway, okay. Everywhere where he has Paul lists spiritual gifts, his main point is to serve the church for unity, edification, and maturity. Paul wants us to go serve, and he wants us to find the function or the role to serve in, and then God will equip you to serve. And so Peter, he is following that same kind of theme. If each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others, open your eyes, he says, look around for where there is a need That need to serve is a gift from God to you to go serve and and build up the saints to show what love looks like, to show how you've been praying for someone. And then you go serve and God will equip you for whatever it is you are serving. And so the prayer in the unconventional method that I think is a more correct prayer is, God, where do you want me to serve today and who do you want me to bless? Which one sounds more like what Jesus tells us to do? God, show me what my spiritual gift is so I can go serve, and I won't go serve until I figure it out. Or God, show me where you want me to serve today and how you want me to bless somebody, and then I'll wait for and trust that you're going to empower me to do that. We had a baptism last week. You all saw the video. Which spiritual gift list that you find in Scripture is clean the bathtub for baptism? we have somebody that cleans the bathtub. His knees are getting bad. He has to crawl under, drain the bathtub, clean it, and then refill it with water so that we can have a clean bathtub to baptize somebody. His knees are going bad. He said, I can't crawl under there anymore. He's not going to be able to serve this way anymore. But he didn't have the spiritual gift of bathtub cleaning. He asked God to let him serve wherever he could, and God has been giving him the strength to do it for decades, and now we need somebody else to have their eyes open and say, I can go serve that way. But there's no spiritual gift list that says bathtub clean. We need a team to do that, though. What about changing diapers? There's not a spiritual gift for changing diapers. But in our nursery, we need people who would love kids enough to change diapers. God will give you the endurance to make it through changing a dirty diaper. I promise. But it enables parents to go learn and serve other people. What we need is not a church to discover spiritual gifts. What we need is a church that says, God, show me where you want me to serve today and I'll go serve and I'll trust that you'll give me whatever I need to do that. Uh, True story. Preacher sits on a plane, and he goes to tell his plane seat partner about Jesus. They don't look the same. And his plane seat partner says, I don't want to hear what you're selling. And so the guy goes, okay, I won't say anything. And then he's prompted by the Holy Spirit to say a word to this man. He doesn't know what the word means. It's in another language he's never heard. And he says, hey, before you go, I really feel like God told me to tell you this. And here's the word. And he says the word. And the seatmate, his eyes get really big. And he said, that's incredible. I belong to a small tribe out of Africa. Only 750 of us know that language. Where did you hear that word and why did you say it? And the guy said, I don't know the word. God told me to tell you. And this guy said, tell me about your God. The man was just looking to serve, and then God equipped him to serve with a miraculous word in another language. Why can't God do that for us if we're willing to serve? What if you go serve, and you see that there's a need for, to you, for you to serve, someone that speaks another language, and you go and you pray for them and you love on them, why wouldn't God work through you to be able to share Jesus that way? See, everywhere where God manifested His power in the New Testament, it was to point people to Jesus, and it was based on what the disciples, the apostles, were looking out. They had their eyes open on where to go serve people out of love and in prayer, and then God empowered them. What about this? Have you ever heard that we're supposed to serve out of our weakness, and then God gets the glory? If you figure out in the conventional way where you are strong and you have a strength, and then you go serve, who gets the glory if you're serving out of your strength? But if you say, God, will you open up my eyes to where you want me to serve and where you want me to bless people, and then you go serve somewhere where you're not really good at it, but it works out, and you're able to encourage somebody, you're able to teach somebody, you're able to bless somebody, and then who gets the praise then? God gets the praise, because you went and served out of weakness. God most often equips the people who are called to go serve who go serve. Don't wait to figure out your spiritual gift. Even if I'm wrong, don't wait to go figure out your spiritual gift before you go serve. I might be wrong. I might be teaching this wrong. But don't wait to go serve, figure out your spiritual gift and go serve. Go serve and trust that God's going to empower you to serve. And then when you're serving, what's he say? If you speak, do as one who speaks the very words of God. If you serve, then do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. You want to know what everyday worship looks like? It's pray, it's love, it's serving. How do we respond? We respond to this by turning our eyes to Jesus Christ who will give us that strength and power to go serve. He will give us the grace we need. How do we respond to pray, love and serve. Well, we turn our prayers to Jesus and we love him for what he has done for us. And we see and recognize and remember the serving he did for us. And we do this in communion. Would you get out your communion? Every week when we gather, we want to remember what Jesus has done for us. And don't we remember when we open and we get our bread and our cup out, don't we remember how Jesus prayed for us? how he prayed before he went to the garden, Lord, may they be in me as I am in you, and may they be one so the whole world will see. And then he prayed as he was nailed to the cross, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Doesn't he still pray for us? We are reminded of that when we participate in the bread. Scripture tells us when we eat the bread, remembering Jesus' sacrifice, we're participating in the body. Would you participate in the body? And would you take the cup, and would you be reminded that His blood poured out for you? He gave up His life, and He poured out His blood so that our sins would be covered. The Scripture says when we participate in the cup, we're participating in His blood. Would you participate in the cup? Let's pray. Lord, we need Your help. To serve and love like you have called us to do. We need your help. Lord, so would you help us to pray more every day so that we could love more fully every day, so that our eyes would be open to serve with the power you give us every day, and this will be our everyday worship. Thank you for Jesus Christ who enables us to do that. It's in his name I pray. Before you go, I want to give you a couple more ways that you can respond to what Jesus is calling you to do before you leave. First, um, Helen Simler, one of our church members, turns 103 next Sunday. Yeah, February 14th. Good run, right? Uh, On the tables, our birthday cards, Um, we're trying to get her at least 103 cards. Um, We've had some students fill them out. We had first hour fill them out. If you would grab a card, put in your favorite verse, uh, write a prayer for her, let her know. Sometimes she feels like... Everybody has forgotten her because she has outlived family. She has outlived friends. We haven't forgotten her, and God has not forgotten her. Would you remind her? It's a way to show love and service. Grab a card, turn it in at the hub on your way out if you don't mind. We want to get her 103. There's some cards on the table. If we run out, we probably have 103 cards signed for her. Um, Another way you can serve and respond right now uh, in pray, love, and service. I'm serious about putting together teams Of prayer warriors for our staff. If you would like to be a prayer warrior, and you can do this from home too, would you fill out a connection card? Fill it out using your phone, uh, fill it out online, and fill out a connection card and ask to speak to a minister. Ask to take your next best step. You want to be on a prayer team, you want to serve somewhere. And maybe it's not being a prayer team, you just want to serve. Maybe you do feel like, hey, I could serve and clean out the bathtub every once in a while. I can drain it. I can get in there and clean it. Maybe that's where you want to serve. Maybe you want to be on the prayer team. Fill out a connection card and let me know that you want to serve. I'll call you and I'll connect you with a serving opportunity. And trust me, God will empower you to do whatever you're asking to do. We have a ton of things you can do around this building. Most importantly, most important, and we've got a ton of things you can serve with on Sunday morning. But most importantly is for you to serve in your home teach your family how to pray and love other people. Teach your family how to pray for your enemies and offer forgiveness and blessing. Most importantly is to teach your family how to serve in your home. You can go uh, do that every day of the week. You can go serve at New Life Clinic. You can go serve at your father's kitchen. They always need a helping hand. There are places to serve all over your community. Teach your family how to do that. That's the most important thing you can do. But if you want to serve here in this church, on Sunday mornings or throughout the week, we have places to serve. First of all, we want to form prayer teams, but we have other places to serve that use our hands and feet just for Jesus. Let me pray for us, and then we'll be dismissed. But your job is to respond and find a place to serve, to love, and to pray. Please stand, and I'll pray for us. Lord, I thank you so much. You have given us grace upon grace upon grace. Lord, help us to live out that grace by praying more often, being serious and alert, ready to pray by loving more fully, just like you have loved us, and by serving. Lord, show us, show us where we can serve and how we can bless somebody today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We are dismissed. God bless you. If this message has inspired you or encouraged you, we would love if you shared it with a friend. To help support ministries like this one, go to wcconline.org donate.